this is kind of what Israel did to him. They were the betrothed wife to him, right? They were his wife, but the wife was not satisfied and found other lovers. And it was a mother who forsook her children to chase after her own desires. If you think about that, I mean, she wasn't around. So it was just a sad deal until the day when she was worthless and bought back for half the cost of a slave, if you remember that. <clears throat> just going to that place and, and having this awesome standing with God, but then regressing clear back to a place to where you're, you're worth half of a slave. I mean, that's as low as you can go. But still having God come and purchase you. And still God having that plan of redemption. So in perspective, I think it's the thing if we just look at it in our own selves. And as I go through the scriptures, I really ask God to just relate it personally to my life. You know, what does he want to tell me about this? Uh, I want to try to understand what it was like. So you have Israel, and, and he has this prophet that he's trying to demonstrate this whole picture to. Well, for us, it would be, and for me, it was looking at it, well, what if my spouse did these things to me? So what if my spouse, and you guys can put your, your spouses in here, and I, I don't want you to go in bad spot in your minds with your spouse, but just to show like how far they've gone from God, or even how far we've gone from him. Um, you know, just think your spouse cheats on you openly. That's what Israel was doing, is cheating on God openly. Like it wasn't even a disgrace. They, they forsook the love that you gave them. This unconditional love, but they forsook it. It was just like, nah. Destroyed the gift that you've gave, you're given. So think about you giving a gift to your spouse and then completely just destroying that gift. Claim that others, and this is one of the worst, is claim that the other lovers were the ones who truly loved them because of what they had. And so everything, just think like your spouse goes away from you, has other lovers, and now everything you've given them to be able to exist and survive, they're giving credit to those other lovers that are just using them. It's like, wow, it's such a hurt, even though you've given it to them, you know. Now, could we respond in the same way that God has in the way that he's showing us to respond? That gets down to a place because a lot of times what we think is, is as soon as, especially if our spouse would go off and cheat on us, it's like that's grounds for divorce automatically, and good thing I'm out of this relationship now. Not saying everybody's like that. There's definitely those relationships, they really try to make it happen and, and continue for it you know, until it just can't work. But just thinking about what God did for them and having that, I mean, if we had that in our lives happen to us and we'd still chase after our spouse, and want to bring them back, even though they've been in horrible places, been used like no other, and now they're worthless to everybody else in the world, and you still go over there and you want them. You still want them. And that's God with us. And it's so neat to see that. When you look at that picture and see how many things have I done against God, what have I done through my sin? What have I done through my words? I say I love him, I go into him, but I don't exalt him. You know, like what we're going to read about a little bit later. And yet he still just wants to have that relationship. And so as we go through these things, just remember that. Okay, if that would be hard to deal with my spouse, this is what God's doing with me. So all these love uh, examples that God gives throughout these chapters, just look at them and what it pertains in your own life, in the life of other people around you that you can be encouraging because they've been brought down either by the enemy or by themselves into a depression of they're worthless. Now, let's get into chapter 11. Let's go ahead and read verses 1 through 4. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. And they called them. So they went from them, they sacrificed the balls and burned incense to carved images. I taught Ephraim how to, uh, to walk, taking them by their hands. But they did not know that I healed them. I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love. And I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. I stooped and fed them. And Lord, just as we go through this, just give us understanding on your character. I mean, that's one of the biggest things as I go through these scriptures. I just want to know you more. Um, and these scriptures just show exactly what your love, your unconditional love is all about. Um, you know, that the wrath does get poured out. There's consequences for sin, that you won't tolerate sin. But Lord, you always want to have it right with us, that we just need to come back and repent. And you just renew us, Lord. And so I just pray, if we're going through things in our lives, that we just fall before you and we would get that sin out of that out of our lives that we repent before you, Lord, that you could restore us back to the right relationship we need to have with you. And Lord, for just encouragement for other people around us, that we'd be able to encourage them and take these words out. I mean, you give it to us because you know who we're going to be running into throughout the week, Lord. 
And so just help us to remember your scriptures so we can encourage others in your love. And uh, just show them what the gospel is about and what you've done, your awesome grace that you pour out, Lord. And we just praise you and thank you so much for what you've done for us. You're such a good God to us and an awesome Father, Lord. We love you. Amen. So right away he gets into this picture of him being a father, right? And he has the child that's there. And he says that, you know what, when, she, when they were first born, I loved them. Right from the beginning, I loved them. They didn't do anything to merit it. Because, you know, right from the beginning, they really, really can't do anything to merit it. So right from the beginning, I loved them. And I called them out of Egypt. I called them as my son out of Egypt. And he, the whole time he took care of them, right? Well, right away, what do they do? They go off with other lovers. They go off with other foreign gods. And then he goes and he talks to them. He says, I taught them, you know, after they had gone into that in verse 2, after they had gone after those things, those things weren't any better, were they? I mean, they were objects. They were objects that extracted foolishness from the worshiper. And I say that because why they're getting foolishness from the worshiper is because they worshiped objects that had no consciousness and therefore couldn't respond. I mean, how stupid is that? That brought out foolishness. Because here you are looking at this piece of wood that's been carved into a shape and you're thinking this is going to change your life. It was, it was a sad thing, especially when you had a God that just did unbelievable miracles to your people, for your people, preserved your people, did awesome things out in the wilderness, and you turn to a stick or you turn to a, a certain stone that glows a little bit. you know. And it's just like, golly, sad that they went to that place. But he goes back and he's like, I taught you guys. I taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by their arms. And I, you guys know that when a little child's learning how to walk, the dad's right there and the mom. Usually you have that picture walking between the two. But both the parents can see when that child's about to fall, right? Like you know when your kid's going to fall. So you reach for them because you don't want them to fall. Unless you're like my dad. I'm sure I fell a lot. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> so they reach out. But the thing, the point of it, and I, I like what this picture draws out, is because they know the child. And they want to preserve that child. They want to help that child. They don't want to see anything bad happen to that child. And so as God refers back to this and saying, I taught you guys how to walk. I took you by your arms. I had such care for you. But they didn't know that I healed them. And that's one of the hardest things is when somebody does that to you, when they don't know that it was from you, when you give them love and they don't understand that it was from you and it goes unrecognized or that love is not given back. That's a hard thing to deal with. And that's what God was dealing with. That's when he's saying, they didn't even know I healed them. He's pouring out this love to them, but it's not returned to them, and it goes unrecognized on who it was from. They're applying it to other gods in their life, other sticks and other stones. It's saying that's where it came from. And then one of the, I love this verse, and I think it's such a neat way in what he shows, and he draws them, right? In verse 4, I drew them with gentle cords with bands of love. What I think of is you see those little kids at the amusement parks with like a little animal attached to their back and they got a leash, right? Now, it might be a bad example because you have some parents that really literally are dragging those kids <laughs> along, you know, on the floor and they're like... Doo -doo -doo -doo. But you have this picture of this parent that just wants to take care of their child. They just don't want them to get hurt. They don't want them to get lost. And so this is what they use. And that's the, when it says these cords, it's actually cords of people. And it makes that reference because it wants to make sure that you're understanding that it's not cords of animals, it's not God wants to treat us like some animal to lead us along, but what it's doing is it's really showing a picture of love here and saying that I drew them with gentle cords or, or, or cords for humans, and it was like for the kids or whatever. It was something that was very light. It was something that was very caring that he would draw them with. And he didn't drive them. He didn't drag them. And he didn't pull on them. You see, the, the wording there is he drew them. You know, it's so kind, and, and the way that God was doing it is, is his child as he brought him along with the bands of love. There was nothing out of spite there. There was not, here's what you're supposed to do. This is what I want you to grow up to be like. Why can't you be like your older brother type thing? It wasn't any of that stuff that was going on there. He was just drawing them along with gentle cords and bands of love, and it was like, uh, it was to them, uh, those who take the yoke from their neck. I mean, how much, how nice is that to have that burden taken off, Right? I mean, the animal's been working all day long, and then you have the person that you go into the shed, and I'm sure they knew, and it's like, oh, good, I get to have this massive piece of wood taken off my neck after burying it all day and pulling the plow or, or turning the mill. And you get to have that off, and it's just showing God doing that with them. Like, you had such a heavy burden on you. It's been a long time. You're, you're going around this mill. You're, you're pulling this thing, and let me take it off. 
It's like such a relief. And then that last little part where he says, and then I stooped and fed them. You know, it's that care that goes into it. Um, I, you guys have chickens, right? Some of you. My, my, my little girls loved their chickens when we had them. And they would, you know, they wouldn't go out there and just throw the feed everywhere and then come right back inside. I mean, usually they were gone for a while when you asked them to go feed the chickens. Because they're out there and you're looking and they're holding them like a baby, actually on their back with their legs up and just like petting their belly. You know, and like feeding them by hand, you know, and so excited because they're eating out of their hand. And yeah, you don't do that, Robin? Robin, you have not lived until you do that with your chickens. <laughs> well, it's because you have that mean rooster. <laughs> yeah. But it's one of those things where that care is given, right? And I'm not condoning you guys or condemning you guys that throw seed to your chicken. It's totally okay. But that idea of stooping down, going down to where they are, and giving them and feed them out of that hand. And it's just that picture of God and how he stoops and he feeds them. Feeds them. So he goes through these first four verses just to remember, hey, you know what? I still love you guys. This is what I remember. This is what we started with. And then he jumps right back into, but here's where you guys have gone. I'm going to remind you guys what we were together. I was your father. You were my son. I took care of you. I cared very much for you. And then in verse 5, it says, He shall not return to the land of Egypt, but the Assyrians shall be his king, because they refuse to repent. And that's the thing, is that the, the, the consequences for not repenting is that now they're going to have to be taken away, and the Assyrians going to be their king. It, God's saying right there, if you would have just repented, this wouldn't be going any further. It just repent. In verse 6, it says, And the sword shall slash his cities, devour his districts, and consume them, because of their own counsel. My people are bent on backsliding from me. Though they call to the Most High, none at all exalt him. And just how he says they're bent on backsliding, it's like I can't do anything to make it where they won't backslide. I've set up everything just right for them. And we read that about that last week and how that, that vineyard and everything was set up just right for them in Isaiah 5. I think that's where it was. But just talking about how it was awesome, it's perfect, everything was set up, but yet there's wild grapes that are there. Why? And he says that. How, how in the world did these get here? And just all this care that he's gone through, and now they're backsliding, they're bent on backsliding to him. And then he says that though they call on the Most High, none of them exalt him. So they still have this, this, this wording that's given out to God. They call on him. They know that still they have to call on him, but he's not being exalted, not being put in the, the proper place that God was supposed to be in their lives. Is one of those, great, we're in trouble, or this is a religious thing to do, let's go do it. There was no relationship there. There was no exalting and putting him number one in their lives. And so he, he calls them out on it. In verse 16 of chapter 7, it also refers almost to the same uh, thing there. In verse 16 it says, they return, but not to the Most High. They're like treacherous bow, when we talked about that. So they're, they're, they're thinking they're returning. That's the thing is there's a whole deception that they're playing on in their mind here. And we see it, it's so prevalent even nowadays. Like, I know I shouldn't be doing this. I'm going to go ahead and return so I feel better about my situation. You know, it's about making yourself a little bit better. Okay, if I go do these things, I'll feel better. And the thing is, God's completely left out of the picture. He's not being exalted. And like what that verse 16 says, they return, but they don't return to the Most High. So what are they returning to? Right? You can fill in the blank, I won't tell you. Now that one, I wanted to clarify, and we, we talked about this, and I don't want to get too much into it, but that one verse in uh, 5, where it says, He shall not return to the land of Egypt, when, I don't remember how many times, there's several times when it talks about him returning, like over in uh, chapter 8, verse uh, 13, it says, They shall return to Egypt. And then, I put little dots next to it. Oh, in verse 7, or chapter 7, uh, the very end of the last verse, it says, This shall be their uh, derision in the land of Egypt. And I think there's one other verse that talks about it. Yeah, chapter 9, verse 3, it says, But Ephraim shall return to Egypt. So there's people that are like, well, wait, contradiction here. Bible's all wrong. Don't follow it. And they go off to the extreme. But like we talked about last week, I think clarification can be found in Deuteronomy 28:68. And 28:68 is where it talked about them being sold off. They came in boats, and they're trying to sell them off, but nobody would even buy them. The thing is, they didn't make their residence there. That's what it's talking about. And so the other verses are true that they went over there, but their residence wasn't there, and their king was not the Egyptian king, 
later what happens is Assyria takes them over and Assyria is going to be their king. That's going to be their captor. Okay, so verses 8 through 11. How can I give you up? And just listen to the heart of God as he goes through this because he doesn't want to do it. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over to Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I set you like Zebulim? Zebulim. My heart churns within me. My sympathy is stirred. I will not execute the fierceness of my anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come with terror. They shall walk after the Lord. He will roar like a lion when he roars. His son, uh, then his sons shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like a bird from Egypt, like a dove from the land of Assyria, and I will let them dwell in their houses, says the Lord. And when you look at what's going on here, and God just pouring out, and, and it's, it's awesome because we get to see into the heart of God where it says that his heart churns within him. This is a hard issue for him because he doesn't want to cast him off. God's not quick to anger. You know, he's not quick to go ahead and say, hey, that's it, you messed up, you're out of here. His, lo- his love, what we see here, is based on compassion. It's based on compassion. They were a worthless people at this point, completely worthless. Who, and they, you can tell that because they're trying to go over to the Egyptians, they're trying to go to Assyria and make all these different packs, and these guys are like, you guys have no worth to us. Like, you know, there's not anything to you guys. And so this worthlessness, there are people who needed his love all the more. In, in their state that they'd driven themselves to. And that's what God, and I think it's so awesome to see that rather than look at how awful they are and all these bad things about them and completely cast them off, that's when he's pouring out his heart there and saying, how can I give up Ephraim? How can I give you up? I mean, you're my son. It's like any parent. No matter how much that, that son sins, you're not going to completely give them up. That's not what parents do. And in the context we've been reading, them, him just showing as a father, that's not going to happen. And where he refers back to these other places, you can find it over in Deuteronomy 29, 23, in Adma and Zeboim. And what happened was these were the ones that they completely destroyed that were near Sodom and Gomorrah, the other towns that were near them. And it just talks really quick in that verse, and it says, you know, people are going to come and say, what's this brimstone about? Why is there no seed that's planted here? Is utter desolation. That's why God's saying, how can I make you like Adma? Because that's what they, in Deuteronomy 29-23, he's warning them and saying, this is what I will do to you. And now he's coming to a place and he's like, how can I do this to you? I, I mean, you're my child. You're my son. How can I set you like Zebulun? My heart turns within me and my sympathy is stirred. And that's why I say it's based on compassion and what he's going through. You know, as your child grows and as they, they mature, they just interweave with your heart, don't they? I mean, it's just it's just this ultimate love that you, you, can't, you can't cast off your child. You can't. And so that's what God's saying. And I, the verse that clarifies everything in verse 9 is because we look at it and why we struggle with some of this stuff is because we try to relate it to ourselves and what we would do. And that's why God says, you know what, I'm God, I'm not a man. This is, this is the decision I'm going to make. This is how I'm going to do it because I'm God. I'm not a man. And it's so sad because there's so many times that we'll try to make God into a man so that he can, we can better understand him. It's like, wait, I don't understand this, so I want to try to make you more like what a man would do. But what's that called? It's called idolatry. That's what they used to do with their gods. They'd make it more like themselves so they could understand and they could get away with more things. And so when we get down to the very end of that, it's just he's talking about the, what's going on there. And this whole prophecy, what it's talking about and what's going to happen, you know, it says, They shall walk after the Lord. He will roar like a lion and his, uh, when it, he roars. Then his sons shall come trembling from the west. Uh, they shall come trembling like a bird from Egypt, like a dove from the land of Assyria, and I will let them dwell in their houses. We've been seeing this happen, right? This is, this is, this is prophecy that's being fulfilled. It's not utterly completed yet, right? But there's still, if you guys go over there, there's a whole program that they have, and the, the Israel is trying to look for people that are outside in other countries, and they give them a free ticket to come back so that they can see if they want to live in their homeland. And they take them through some classes so that they know their history. And, and it's actually a neat thing. They're trying to bring their people back in. And so you get to see this, is that they're coming from the West. And it's really interesting because one of the biggest places they're coming back from is America. 
That's one of the biggest, they have the most that are coming back from here. So just interesting. Here it is right in Scripture, and it's talking about it. And I like what it says there. You guys remember how we talked about the silly dove or the silly bird that had the net cast on it? That was back over when we were talking about the bow and everything. Uh, I don't know if I can find it. Yeah, here it is. A silly dove in verse 11 of chapter 7. It says, Ephraim also is like a silly dove without sense. They call to Egypt and they go to Assyria. Wherever they go, I will spread my net on them. I will bring them down like the birds of the air. I will chastise them according to what their congregation has heard. And now he completely changes it in what he says here. And he's saying that, they're going to be like that dove, like a dove from the land of Assyria, and I will let them dwell in their houses. And that's a better picture of what they are, not the silly dove, but a regular dove that's coming back home. Now getting into chapter 12, and I know verse 12 is still in 11, but it kind of goes along with chapter 12. I hope that clock's right tonight, since I messed up last time, right? <laughs> I think it's, yeah, I'm looking at mine, it's pretty good. So chapter 12. I'm going to read verse 12, though, because it goes along with it. Ephraim has encircled me with lies, and the house of Israel deceit. But Judah still walks with the Lord, even with the Holy One who is faithful. Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind. He daily increases lies and desolation. Also, they make a covenant with Assyrians, and oil is carried to Egypt. So what's going on here is Ephraim has basically just become a liar to God, right? That's what it's saying. They encircled him with lies. And that's the thing, I think they return to him, but they don't look for the most high. I mean, they just have lies. That's what they're full of. But now what's happening is now they're carrying it on to man. Now they're being deceptive to, to others. And so when you look at it, Ephraim was, you know, encircled God with the lies. And then all in this chapter, what it's going to talk about is it's going to be talking about their dealings with other people. And it says uh, Ephraim is going to go against it and be deceitful to his neighbors. And like Charles Finberg says, he says, the attitude taken toward God determines the attitude toward man. The attitude taken toward God determines the attitude taken toward man. So true, right? I mean, a person, how they they interact with God and how they deal with God is what you're going to see how they're going to interact with their neighbor and those other people. Now when he comes to this the useless place in his life and and he's going after this wind. I mean, chasing wind is pretty useless. Have you guys ever done it? That's good. You guys probably know how to spend your time better. <laughs> You're not wind chasers. When it talks about the east wind, and it says Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind, this east wind, what it was, is it was from the desert east of uh, Palestine. It was a nasty wind. It was dry, it was hot, and it was destructive. And it was just, it was something that was not looked at as a good deal. This was like a wind you don't want to have. But here they are pursuing it, and it's just showing what their life is like. Here you're going after something that's destructive, it's dry. And it's hot. It's something you don't want to spend time with. But they fooled themselves into going there. And so pursues the east wind, and he daily increases lies and desolation. Also, they make a covenant with the Assyrians, and oil is carried to Egypt. God had a big beef against them because they're going out and trying to make other covenants with Assyria and with Egypt. And later on in chapter 4, when he's asking them to repent, he says that. He says, this is what I want to kind of hear from you guys, and that you would repent for going over to make a, a covenant with them. I'm trying to look for it at the same time I'm talking. But we'll get there. I can't find it right off the top. But look for that when we go through chapter 14. And it says, an oil was carried to Egypt. Now, the thing was is that their covenant was supposed to be made with God. He was their ultimate protector. And their oil, Palestine had, it was rich in oil at this time. You can go back through and look at the scriptures. And we used to go over to Tyre is where they used to ship it over to. But now what they're trying to do is they're trying to make a covenant with Egypt. They're trying to get them on their good side. And this is when Israel is starting to get look pretty bad. This is getting near the end of when they're about to be taken captive. So I mean, they're trying to do whatever they can to try to make some good agreements to have some protection from these horsemen. You know, the Egyptians were known for being horsemen. And so that's why they're starting to even take their goods and give it to people outside of their country, of their people group which is just going to bring them down because now that gives a power to Egypt. And so verse 2, the Lord also brings a charge against Judah, and this is when it brings in Judah again, and will punish Jacob according to his ways, according to his deeds. He will recompense him. He took his brother by the hill, and now it goes and talks about Jacob a little bit. This gets a little confusing because it was talking about Jacob in verse uh, 2 and saying that, you know, relating it to Judah. But now what it's going to talk about is actually Jacob, and it's actually it's a, it's a comparison. 
It's it's uh you know this is what Jacob was. You guys should be this way when we go through this. And just what he did and how as we go through these scriptures, look at the blessing that Jacob was always trying to get. Okay, look at how he strived for blessing. Look at how he strived for that spiritual life. And so he says he took his brother by the hill in the womb, and in his strength he struggled with God. Yes, he struggled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought favor from him. He found him in Bethel, and there he spoke to us. That is, the Lord God of hosts, and the Lord is his memorable name. So you, by the help of your God, return, observe mercy and justice, and wait on your God continually. And so when it goes through and talks about Jacob, it's like saying from the very beginning he was looking for that spiritual blessing. As he grasped onto his brother's heel, right? Firstborn. So from the very first, he was struggling for that. That's what he wanted. And then it goes on and he says that in his strength, he struggled with God. Why was he struggling with God? Well, in the end, we find out he's like, don't leave me without a blessing. But it comes to a place where he struggles with God and he couldn't, you know, he didn't. And he comes to a place of weeping and petition or supplication. And it talks about over there in, in 2 Corinthians uh 12, I think is where it gives a little bit more insight on that, but it leaves out the word weep. It doesn't talk about him crying, but it talks about the supplication that it was made, or the, yeah, the supplication that was made. But you see this in this struggle for blessing, and he's given this comparison to them, like, here's what your forefather was like. He was struggling after this. And then it says, and he wept and he sought favor from him, and he found him in Bethel. Now, what did they turn Bethel into? You guys remember that? They called it Beth Aven. It was just a little bit ways away from there. It's a completely there's a horrible spot where they're worshiping all these other gods. He's taking them back to like, look, Jacob was at Bethel. This is what happened with God, and this is how he was dealt with there. He's given promises. He Jacob got promises from God there. And he says in verse five, that is the Lord God of, uh, of hosts. And there he spoke to us. That is the Lord God of hosts. The Lord is his memorable name. So you, by the help of your God, return, observe mercy and justice, and wait on your God continually. Just as your father did, you guys can do the same. I mean, that was your father. And he's really trying to connect it with them and bring them back into that state of repentance and going back on their family history. But then he goes back and it's kind of, sometimes in the Hebrew language they would give one side and they would completely contrast it with another thing. So we get to see that. You know, He gives the example of Jacob. Now he's going to give an example of here's what you really are, though, as a Canaanite or a Phoenician. That's another word for the Canaanites back then. Phoenician. And so he gives this example. He says, A cunning Canaanite, deceitful scales are in his hand. He loves to oppress. And Ephraim said, Surely I have become rich. I have found wealth for myself in all my labors. They shall find in me no iniquity that is sin. A little bit prideful there. (laughs) Ephraim was like that Canaanite, and they focused after gain. That's what they're after. They had a great, and like what I've said before, they were very prosperous during this time. Very prosperous. Now the Phoenicians or the Canaanites, they were great merchants. You guys can read over in Isaiah 23.11 and Ezekiel 17.4 attributes that to them. But they're also known for their grasping, their cheating, their deceiving ways. They are a ruthless people. But they're all about that gain. Even Homer, the the Greek poet, he even talks about the Phoenicians. And he gives them a title and says, Money Lovers. That's what they were. So even outside of the Word of God, here's these other Greeks that are saying, Yeah, that's what Phoenicians were. Now, when you get to that, that verse in verse 8, and it says, Ephraim said, Surely I have become rich. I have found wealth for myself. In all my labors, they shall find in me no iniquity that is in sin. What he was doing here, and this is a horrible verse, is he was justifying his lifestyle based on his prosperity. American. (laughs) Justifying his lifestyle because of his prosperity. Well, I wouldn't be doing so well if it was wrong, right? And that's, it's a sad spot that they've come to because now how they want to justify sin is that they want to show it's okay because nothing bad is happening in my life right now. Ecclesiastes 8.11. If you guys are taking notes, for sure write this one down. Awesome verse to go along with this. It says, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. 
read it again. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. And it's a sad spot. That's exactly where Ephraim had gone. Is that because they weren't having any discipline, chastisement, anything going against them in this moment, because it wasn't executed when they thought it should be executed, they justified their actions and said, well, it must be okay. And you have to understand, as, as you put the other scriptures together and where it shows that they're going to the Most High, but they're not exalting Him, this is their attitude towards it. Well, God would stop me from doing this if He really didn't like what I was doing. And what a sad place to be in your relationship with the Lord. Where you're looking at your justification for your lifestyle and how you live is based on if God's going to do anything to you or if any bad thing bad has happened in your life. And it even has gone into the churches. This is just not a worldly thing. If you have problems in a lot of churches and there's, there's crisis in your life, they'll attribute it to your life. And, oh, there must be sin. That's why this is happening to you, because of this sin. You know, and they'll call you out and try to j- explain what God's doing in your life based on your prosperity or your health. And it's like, guys, the scriptures are very clear in that, that God is going to give to who he wants to give to. He's going to bless who he wants to bless. And as we go through the scripture, and if anybody's studied through the Old Testament, you know that God has his own purpose, and even like what he said in those other verses, I'm not a man. I'm going to do it God's way, because I'm God. So don't even try to understand it. But these people are trying to clarify, and like with Ephraim, they want to say, it's all good, because nothing bad is happening. So, in verse 9 it says, But I am the Lord your God, ever since the land of Egypt, I will again make you dwell in tents, as in the days of the appointed feasts. I have also spoken by the prophets and have multiplied visions. I have given symbols through the witnesses of the prophets. And God's just telling them right now, guys, I've given you everything. I've shown you guys. Even though you guys thought you were okay, I sent men to tell you that doom is coming. Judgment is coming if there's no repentance. And just because judgment didn't come through those men right there at that moment, they kept writing off God and waiting. What a dangerous spot it was to be in. To keep procrastinating in that repentance. And that's where they were. And God's telling them, I sent you everything to tell you guys that you were wrong. That there was iniquity. Verse 11, Though Gilead has idols, surely they are vanity. Through their, though they sacrifice bulls and Gilgal, indeed their altars shall be heaps in the furrows of the field. Jacob fled to the country of Syria. Israel served for a spouse, and for a wife he tended sheep. By a prophet, the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt, and by a prophet, he was preserved. Ephraim provoked him to anger most bitterly. Therefore, the Lord will leave the guilt of his bloodshed upon him and return his reproach upon him. And just talking again, guys, the message has been given. There's going to be no excuse. Judgment's coming. Ephraim provoked him to anger most bitterly. And so now he's going to leave the guilt on their own hands. So God's just saying, I did everything... I could do to show you guys and to have that mercy poured out on you before the judgment comes so that you would have repentance. But you know what? You didn't want to do it. The blood's on your own hand. You guys have made this decision for your life to go this way. So this is the way. And God's got to deal with that sin. Like we talked about, I think it was the very first one we had. God has to deal with sin or else it wouldn't be justice. We couldn't call him a just God if it wasn't dealt with. Now chapter 13. This is one we're going to have to go through a little bit quicker. So, when Ephraim spoke trembling, he exalted himself in Israel. And here he goes again, you know. But when he, offend, when he offended through Baal worship, he died. Now, then sin, uh, now they sinned more and more and have made for themselves molded images, idols of their silver, according to their skill. All of it, the work of craftsmen, they say of them. Let the men who sacrifice kiss the calves. Therefore they say, be like the the morning cloud. Therefore they shall sorry. For therefore they shall be like the morning cloud, and like the early dew that passes away, like chaff blowing off from a threshing floor, and like smoke from a chimney. So it's basically something they're going to become irrelevant. What a sad place to be, because it's going to be something that was seen for a little bit of time and it's gone. And each one of these examples that he gives is is saying, you know, it's going to be gone. Therefore you'll be like a morning cloud. 
you guys know, as soon as it heats up, you don't see that cloud anymore. And usually you don't remember it. You remember the ones that start bringing you rain and stuff, but these little clouds in the morning you don't remember. And then that early dew that passes away, you know, you walk out in the grass, your shoes get all wet, but later on in the day that's not going to happen. You don't have to watch out and step high. <laughs> you can just walk normal. That dew's gone. It was there for a moment. It's out of there. And then the chaff, you guys know what chaff is. It's where the wheat and the chaff, uh, the chaff was on the outside of the wheat. It was kind of like the little covering. And on these threshing floors, what they would do is usually in a little windy spot, which is like a big uh, hard surface that they had out there, and they would throw the wheat up in the air, and the chaff would be blown away in the wind, and then the wheat would go back down, and that's how they would separate them. And so that chaff is blown away and forgotten about because the importance is that wheat that's there. And that's a sad state that they put themselves in because now it's they're just going to be a blip. Like, you know, oh, who who's that? There's so many nations that we read about in the scriptures that are that way that, you know what, unless the scriptures weren't written about them, we'd have no clue that they even existed because of their disobedience to God. So God did do that, but this mercy keeps pouring out on Israel. Yet I am the Lord your God ever since the land of Egypt, and you shall know... No God but me, for there is no Savior besides me. Great verse right there. Awesome verse to be able to use because there's so many people that call salvation in themselves, salvation in other gods, salvation in this or that. God is very plain right here. And they'll try to present it as, oh, you know, he's one of the paths to the top of the mountain. And right here, God is so clear in saying, that you know what, there's no other Savior except for me. And another great verse, too, if you want to prove the deity of Jesus Christ, because Jesus says the same thing, doesn't he? And here's God, Jehovah God, saying that thing. So that would be kind of that would be big blasphemy there, if, if Jesus Christ really wasn't God. Verse 5, I knew you in the wilderness and in the land of great drought. <laughs> this verse right here. When they had pasture, they were filled. They were filled and their heart was exalted. Therefore, they forgot me. One of those other things that, again, they have everything that they want and everything that they need, and so why would you need God? You know, you go to the poorer countries, and I'm sure my parents can tell you story after story that they really get to see that they have to have God daily because they really have to pray to Him every day for their bread or for their rice. It's a real deal to them. But here's, the, here's Ephraim. They've come to a state where, you know, they're filled, their heart is exalted, and they forgot me. A sad place. Verse 7. So I will be like the lion. And these verses 7 and 8, watch this one right here. Especially you guys know that Daniel 7, this is way before Daniel. Look at, look at these different creatures here. So I will be them like a lion, like a leopard by the road. I will lurk. I will meet them like a bear deprived of her cubs. I will tear open her rib cage, and there I will devour them like a lion. The wild beast shall tear them. All four of them that are mentioned over in Daniel 7 way before that time. But God getting very serious with them. I mean, you just don't mess with a bear that has cubs taken away from him. Oh, Israel, you are destroyed, but your help is from me. He had to take them completely back to where they had nothing again to remember it's only their help can be found in God. Because you can be guaranteed that as they went through this process, you know that they were calling out to these other gods. You know they were. They were trying to do everything they could. Who knows how many other children they killed to try to appease these gods as they're going through this trouble. And God stripped it all away from them so that they could see that it's only in him. He is absolutely their only savior. I will be your king where is any other, that he may save you in all your cities. And judge judges to whom you said, give me a king and princes. I gave you a king in my anger and took him away in my wrath. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is stored up. The sorrows of a woman and childbirth shall come upon him. He is an unwise son, for he should not stay long where children are born. Horrible spot that they're going to have to go. And when it talks about that pain, you know, the sorrows of a woman and childbirth, well, I mean, especially most, uh, you know, at least half of you being women, know exactly what this is. If, if those pains, and if that isn't observed and that isn't taken care of when you're about to start having a baby, and you're just like, well, whatever, I'll just go through it and not go after any kind of help, medical attention or any of that, usually what will happen in the, those cases is death will follow, won't it? Either for you or for the child. And I make that point because in these scriptures right here, it's like he wants them to take it serious. That's why he's bringing up this. And the sorrows of the women childbirth shall come upon him. Like it's going to be this thing you guys need to pay attention to. 
They don't, though. He's an unwise son, and that's the reason for it. And then verse 14, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. Such a cool verse, guys. This is one of those ones that you're like, you just write Jesus next to it. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be your plagues. O grave, I will be your destruction. Pity is hidden from my eyes. Isn't that cool? I love that one, too, that says, O grave, I will be your destruction. I mean, Jesus totally destroyed it. It's such a neat passage of scripture right there. Though he is fruitful among his brethren, an east wind shall come, the wind of the Lord shall come up from the wilderness, then his spring shall come dry, become dry, and his fountain shall be dried up. He shall plunder the treasury of every desirable prize. Samaria is held guilty, for she has rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword, their infants shall be dashed in pieces, and their women with child ripped open. I mean, a horrible thing that they're going to have to go through. Absolutely disgusting. But some of the places they'd even gone with those gods that they'd been serving. You know, and, and absolute disgusting things that they'd, they'd gone through. Now verse chapter 14, the one I've been excited to get to. Just because it just pours over God's love and, and just calling them to this repentance. So, oh Israel, turn to the Lord your God. Just as plea to them. For you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, and here's what I want you to say to God, take away all iniquity. Receive us graciously. For we will offer the sacrifices of our lips. So interesting. Assyria shall not save us. That's the verse I was looking for. You know, they're turning away from their salvation from other nations and other people. We will not ride on horses. That's a direct reference to Egypt. We're not going to count on them. Nor will we say any more that the work uh, to the work of our hands, you are our gods. For in you, the fatherless, find mercy. And looking at that and saying, we're not going to say any more to the work of our hands, you are our gods. How many things have we done with our hands as humans, as, as even in this culture, the things that we've developed, but now we spend most of our time with? Most of our... our hours and, and whatever is just spinning consumed in these things now. I mean, you look around and it's like, you know, how many people are just consumed by a device? That is their essence of living. <laughs> to know what somebody else has posted, you know, to know what somebody is if they've liked this new picture they've put up there and said any comments about it. You know, what is this, this that drives them for waking up in the morning is to know what's on the gram. You know, and it's it's the state that now is is altered the lifestyle of this person to where now are absolutely consumed by this device. And it's not just that device that was created by those hands, but it's that information coming across. It's that entertainment that is being brought to them. It's that huge distraction that's being brought. And it's a sad place that you see it, and you see that the world is completely taking hold of it. And to say idolatry is not around anymore, I think it would be a huge statement and a false one. We see it in everything especially those things that take us away from God. So it says, you know, the, uh, nor will we say any more uh, to the work of our hands, you are our gods, for in you the fatherless find mercy. I will heal their backsliding, I will love them freely. Remember they're bent on backsliding from him? So cool that he's going to heal it. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from him. I will be like the dew of, to Israel. He shall grow like the lily and lengthen his roots like Lebanon. His branches shall spread, his beauty shall be like an olive tree, and his fragrance like Lebanon. I just want to go to Lebanon. Let me just tell you, because it's about to tell you some other cool things about there. Those who dwell under the shadow shall return, under his shadow shall return. They shall be revived like grain, and grow like a vine. Their scent shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim shall say, what have I to do any more with idols? I have heard and observed him. I am like a green cypress tree. Your fruit is found in me. Who is wise? Let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the transgressors stumble in them. And so when he goes on and he's talking about, this is what I'm going to do with them. I'm going to heal their backsliding, which I think is awesome because there's so many times that we'll try to cure our backsliding. you know. And here God is saying, I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to deal with what's going on in your life right here. Now there's a submission that has to you know, come first in what he talks about and saying, I'm going to give up all this stuff to you, God. 
And then God turns and says to them in this awesome conversation that's going on there, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. Great verse. They're not going to have to do anything. All these sacrifices they've been trying to pay me lip service in, nah, I'm going to love them freely. For my anger has turned away from him. I will be like the... uh, I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall grow like a lily and lengthen his roots like Lebanon. Now, you guys know the lily. Do you guys have any lilies planted? You guys do lilies? Yeah? They said that's one of the most productive plants ever created. <laughs> they said in one plant, in one root, can produce 50 bulbs. 50. However, the thing with lilies is that they have a very shallow root. Right? That's why he brings in the next part and says... You guys are going to be so fruitful and so productive, you're going to grow like a lily, and your roots are going to be lengthened. So you, And lengthen his roots like Lebanon. And what's referring to is not that Lebanon had long roots, but you guys remember was they built the tabernacle and they built the tab, uh, temple and everything that was basically built. They went to Lebanon for the cedar trees, right? Um, they were like the redwood oak. I mean, just massive, huge. This place was known for its trees, and so that's why it's referring back to those roots that are there. And you guys remember that before what he talked about is that your roots are shallow. You know, I can't, I wish I wrote, wrote that verse down. I saw it, but as he talked about them, but he's going to restore. And if you guys look at this, just look at how much restoration is being brought back to these guys freely. His branches shall spread and his beauty shall be like olive tree and his fragrance like Lebanon. And those who dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall re, uh, be revived like grain and grow like a vine. Their scent shall be like that wine in Lebanon. They also said that the grapes there in Lebanon, they said they're about the size of plums. I don't know. Who knows? But it looks like it's a very fruitful place, doesn't it? It looks like this was the place to go. This was like the beauty. This was like the Colorado of the United States, you know. <laughs> this is where all the beauty existed. Sorry for anybody who's listening outside of Colorado. Return. <laughs> you know, it's just it's an awesome thing than what he's promising here. And so Ephraim responds back to what God's going to do with him. And he says, you know what, what do I have to do with idols? What idol ever gave me any of this? What lover ever gave me any of this? What sin ever gave this to me? So many times that, you know, people get deceived in that. That this sin is bringing them a certain aspect of their life that they can't live without or, or that makes it more joyous or peaceful to have that sin in their life. And it's such a deception because it's taken everything away. And so Ephraim responds in verse 8 and he says, Ephraim shall say, what have I to do with idols? I have heard and observed him. Remember those two words there? Heard and observed as we went through Hebrews where it was talking a lot about that. Like not just listening, hearing that voice, but also observing and doing what he's asked to be done. I am like a green cypress tree. Your fruit is found in me. And finally, God's fruit is found in them. They've been restored to bearing God's fruit. No longer do they bear those wild grapes, but they bear those grapes they were supposed to be bearing because he set up a perfect life for them in that, in that uh, vineyard. And that last one, who's wise? Let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know them. Knowing them mean work them out, do them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and righteous walk in them, but the transgressors stumble in them. And that's just how Hosea, he closes out the scriptures in there. And we don't have any reference back onto what happened with his life, as far as with his wife or any of that. But God's point was made, and what he was wanting to show them. Here's what you've done. You've gone after other lovers, but I still have a plan for you. Here's what you do deserve. You deserve to be absolutely wiped out. Completely wiped out like I did with other nations. But because I have a plan for you and because I made a covenant with your fathers, this is what I'm going to do freely. This is how I'm going to act. And you look at all the things that they did, and if you guys remember back when we talked about if your spouse did any of that stuff to you, I mean, now, you know, some of us, it's like our spouse does one little thing to us, we're upset with them. And it takes even days sometimes for some people to resolve that, that relationship within their marriage. But then you look at the ones that have been hurt so bad like that and, and had their spouse go out after other people and commit that adultery. And you watch that just tearing apart that family. And then if you went and asked that person to go and restore that, absolutely not. Do you know how much pain I have in that? Do you know how much that killed me? Do you know how I don't even want to live anymore because I had to go through that? And then you look at that and you, you, you go tenfold on that, and that's what Israel did to God. 
And you look at that and you have perspective and you're like, wow, God, I can't believe you went back and you did what you did for him. And then you put your life in that situation and what you're doing with the Lord and what you were before him and you just have to give him glory and praise him. Because that's exactly what he does for us, being his people. And not only that, that's what he did for his nation and he grafted us in, even more worthless because we're us being Gentiles in our sin. I mean, not even considered his people outside of there. And he grafts us into the tree like what Romans talks about. And he brings us in just as his sons too, sons and daughters. And so when we come to the end of this, I hope you guys have seen that this is an awesome book and what it shows God's love and how he waits and his mercy pours out. Sin has to be dealt with, but God's always looking for repentance. He's always ready for that repentance. And what an encouraging thing to see God and his love for us. And I pray that you guys are not condemned in your lives anymore. If there is sin, go deal with it before him, before he needs to come and deal with it. Right? Lord, we just thank you so much for your scriptures. And as we just continue just to keep on uh, going through these minor prophets, I guess after the summer, since we're going to be doing a little bit change coming up, Lord. But as we seek you and we come before you and pray you know, these in July uh, we, or June, I just thank you for that time we're going to get to have with you, Lord, and just come before you. And I pray we just remember these things, these, these words that we can cry out to you. You know, and we, just as we beg you also to take away the iniquity and receive us graciously. You know, that we want to give you our hearts. We want to give you that, what you're asking for, that repentance, Lord. We just thank you that you're always ready to accept us just as that Father that, that grew us up and taught us how to walk. Lord, we thank you so much for not leaving us when we do something against you, Lord, or we do something against our neighbor. But, Lord, you're always waiting there. We just praise you for that and thank you so much for giving us an ear. And, Lord, I just want to ask that you just bless those people that weren't able to make it tonight, Lord, that they'd be able to be encouraged through your message and through your word just as they read through it, Lord. And just for each one of us as we go out through the week, Lord, that you would just bring somebody in our lives that we could be able to translate or give them this message, Lord, that we'd be able to encourage them like you've encouraged us, Lord. I just pray we'd use your scripture in that way and we'd be your servants, Lord. And we just pray these things in your name. Amen.